Welcome to Keeping Score. I'm Rick Haro. Each week we bring you insights from the playmakers, dealmakers, and rule makers in the world of sports. I'll give you my take on some of the items of the week using my 30 years of experience doing deals for teams, leagues, and players in the $750 billion business of sports. Plus, we'll talk with a central figure in the sports world. The views expressed in this podcast are my own and do not represent the views of Reuters. Let's get started. Indy 500 time across the world, but it's so much more. Starting of new leagues, new aspirations, new dreams, including golf. Andrew Both from Reuters has had a scoop that Dan Calaruso, our regular host, co-host, and global contributor, can talk about a little more. Dan, what's it all about? Interesting scoop, Rick. And you know, you know, you make fun of me a lot for not being a golf fan, but I am a fan of money. And this is why it caught my interest. We, we broke a story this week saying that a new golf tour was, was planning on starting. They were laying the, the groundwork. They were starting to contact sponsors and potential players, something called the World Golf Series. What's astounding about this is that they're looking to do about 15 or 20 tournaments a year with, a, with purses of up to $20 million per tournament. So to me, it's a direct conflict, uh, con- conflict with PGA. The PGA's biggest prizes are about $11 bucks. So the idea that there's a new, bigger money golf tour on the horizon uh, really strikes an interesting chord in this day and age of, like, you know, these organizations need to get bigger and broader to, to thrive. And it's, it's just an int- I thought it was an interesting story, um, and I think it's still early. We don't have a ton of detail on it. Um, but at this point, they're trying to line up sponsors, and I would imagine you would tell you tell me: Is there the appetite, both on a sponsorship level, on a player level, for another entity like this to kind of emerge in the world of golf? Well, the World Golf Foundation talks about seventy billion dollars of revenue in the golf industry, so the short answer is yes. But it's all about money. There's a big difference between eleven million dollar purse, a tournament, and twenty million. But as they noted in the article, Greg Norman's been trying to get this off the ground. It was his idea twenty years ago. Fox, and they were starting some of that discussion, and it didn't happen yet. PGA Tour, probably not uh, on the Christmas card list of the guys that are forming this, but the bottom line is sponsor TV monies, it cuts across all sports, and we'll just have to wait and see. But if it's capitalized well, we may wait and see less than otherwise, but it's all about how you deploy, which kind of brings us to not only the Indy 500 this week, but the guy who cuts across a lot of that, Mark Miles, is the president and CEO of the Hallman Company, but that includes the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, all of IndyCar, and he, from 2006 to 2012, he was the president and CEO of the Indiana Corporate Partnership, which brought the Super Bowl to Indianapolis, the Super Bowl host committee. He was the head of the ATP, so he was dealing with tennis, he was dealing with, with IndyCar, He's also part of the deal with Group 1001 in Guggenheim to sponsor the Women in Tech uh, Open that happens every year in Indianapolis as well. So Mark Miles cuts across a lot of disciplines. He can give us some perspective. Here he is now. We have some national and international expertise with us. Mark Miles, president and CEO of the Holman Company. But wait, there's more. It's been ATP brought the Super Bowl to Indianapolis, brought the Pan Am Games to Indianapolis, uh, has been involved in so many things in so many industries. Mark, it is a profound honor to be here with you. Thank you, Rick. My pleasure. I'm sure it is. We have a lot of different perspectives in a trillion-dollar sports business, but let's talk generally about all of your experiences kind of in one basket. The tennis, the golf now, because you were kind of a co-partner in promoting the Women in Tech Championship. We'll get into that. But obviously the IndyCar racing as well. 
What are the commonalities that all of those sports present? How do you succeed in, in running those businesses and those sports? Well, if it's a league as opposed to an individual event, the first thing is to try to get all the stakeholders, all the constituents on the same page, aligned on and clear on what you're trying to do. Because absent that, it is hurting cats, and you can't really communicate uh, effectively, and it's really hard to be successful. So I think from a league perspective, that's first. Uh, very important to that, obviously, is the athletes, where it's, whether it's tennis players or golfers or our drivers, uh, in the case of the IndyCar series. They got to know what you want to do, um, and, and you learn so much from them. So it's not, uh, it's not um, cramming down a, a strategy. It's selling a strategy and developing it over time through them. I think that's probably the main thing. But ultimately, it's about your fan base and growing uh, fan engagement, growing the number of fans and the frequency with which they participate in your sport or take in your sport. And that's the same thing uh, no matter where you are. And it's more and more complicated as technologies uh, disrupt and uh, f people have more and more choices. And specifically, let's break it down for a second. You ran the ATP for 15 years. Uh, is tennis uh, kind of in the same place today as it was when you started with the ATP? No, I think they've, they've grown a lot. Um, tennis is a very international sport. When I was there, I don't know the number today, but we had about 75 tournaments a year in about 34 countries. And it, in those days, about 85% of the business of men's professional tennis was outside the US. So very much a, a global property. I used to say it's, it was sort of a a globe wide and a micron deep because we were moving all the time. Um, to their credit, they've taken great advantage of the ability to deliver more and more and more sp specific content affordably so that, you know, there's a tennis player who's a household name in every country in the world or most countries and those people want to watch his match first round wherever it is that week and now they can get it. So I think the, the, the uh, digital media has been a great boost for tennis, and they've, they've done great things. One of the things that you talked, uh, you spoke earlier about was, from, a, from an athlete's perspective, mean, meant a lot to me was um, the pension question, because a lot of athletes in tennis, it used to be that a player who made it in the top 100 in the world, half of them did that five years. And they really weren't always equipped to have a successful career when they weren't on a court playing other pros. So we started a, a deferred comp program that today is really quite important to uh, uh, people and, and they get a benefit when they're 55 years old. So it's really gratifying for me to see them beginning to collect. The governing structure of men's and women's tennis, has it gotten better or worse over the, over the years? Well, it, it changed when I started in 1990. And the structure is the same, and that is unusual because there's not a union. Um, the board of directors that makes the policy and hires the CEO is half player representatives and half tournament owners. Um, I, I hear, although I'm not that close to it these days, that it might be a little more unwieldy. Um, you're, you're not a commissioner who can, again, just cram things down. I often felt more like a prime minister than a CEO. Um, and just, because, just to define some of that, all, all four majors 
have different governing structures, basically, right? From about, each other? Yeah, from each other. <laughs> the, right? four, the four yeah. major, it's very four much example. like golf in that yeah. respect, except, so we would be analogous to the PGA Tour, except we were global. Yeah. Um, so it's complicated, but, uh, you know, we spent a lot of time aligning interests, and uh, we may be took longer to get a decision on policy or rules done, but I felt like when we got a decision, it was going to stick. We had built a consensus around change. Before we get to Indy, which is a current vocation, Pan American Games in uh, Indianapolis, Super Bowl in Indianapolis, people didn't expect, under-promised, over-delivered, tremendous process there. What's your big takeaway from that relative to special events and what they mean to a community? Wow. You know, Indianapolis, since uh, the late 70s, has led an industry of making a community around major sporting events for the community. So it's not a new thing for me, but I think the Super Bowl, which was in India in 2012, was kind of the most recent proof of the idea that if we organize an event and, and think about it beyond the field and think about what it can do for the community and do everything we can to be inclusive and engage people, there were 38,000 volunteers, unpaid volunteers to, to do the Pan American Games. We thought we needed 8,000 for the Super Bowl. We got 12. And the thing about that is it lasts for lifetimes. Yeah. People really revere having been involved and been being part of something bigger than themselves and reflecting pride in their community. So it's really the, uh, the reason to do these events from a, from a community point of view is for the community, and it's seldom about the sport. Let's talk about the next sport, which is you've been the, the head of the Hellman Sports Initiative since December of 2012, which include IndyCar Racing and Indianapolis Motor Speedway as well. What is the health of IndyCar Racing today? Well, I couldn't feel better about it. The, uh, the last few years, in every measure of fan engagement, fan metrics, we've had meaningful growth. There's 38% increase in our television audiences over the last four years at a time when live, linear telecasts uh, don't take growth for granted. Um, and all the social media, really any way you can measure the sport, it's, uh, it's growing. We just announced for next year a new uh, arrangement with NBC who will broadcast NBC Network. We'll have eight of our 17 races. All the rest will be on cable, NBCSN. And for the first time, we'll have a direct-to-consumer offering so that you can go online and, and get uh, great IndyCar content. So that's going to ensure our ongoing growth for the next two or three years at least. And uh, it's really exciting to be part of it. People, you know, the sport kind of stubbed its toe through some governance matters years well, well, ago. Very well put. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe really almost broke its yeah, toe. or the foot. But yeah. I think now we're wholly past that. And our fans get it and our constituents get it. And we're all about growing the game now. Corporate sponsorship so incredibly important as a backbone to all of those sports you were talking about before. Is it harder or easier to raise corporate sponsorship money today and have the metrics and evaluation criteria changed? Just the last part of that. First, I think the metrics are more important. I'm not sure that the criteria or the metrics have changed much. It's just that um, it's just part of the deal. You have to have an agreement on what matters to the sponsor, and you have to show them that you're delivering or over-delivering. So it's more important. I, I'm not sure I really believe it's more difficult. I can't remember a time in 
my however many years now in, in sports, um, when everybody didn't feel about one great sponsor away from oblivion or from a real problem, right? If it was a tournament, they had to have that title. If the title sponsor went away, it was a problem. If it's a player, he had to have the in tennis, the, the name on the, of the company on the, on the shoulder. And certainly, it's sponsorship that drives uh, the paddock and our team owners in IndyCar racing. So it's essential. It's always tough. It's very competitive. But I like what we got to sell. Let's finally focus on what might be the most important issue, which is philanthropy. We know that in the golf industry, four five billion dollars a year is noted, a lot more based on relationships uh, in all sports. It's doing the right thing. We're involved in the Iowa Championship that you are partners with Dan Towers in Guggenheim uh, in Indianapolis in August. Uh, you also see the Volunteers of America here as well. How important is the philanthropic aspect to corporations making decisions to go forward? It's very important. I think fundamentally they care about reaching their customers. They also care about doing good and being seen to have a affirming effect on people's lives, which is, is so important, and being part of an honest, growing, robust sport. But the philanthropic side of that is, is very important. And I, I have to take my hat off to golf. I think both the PGA Tour and, and the LPGA Tour have done a phenomenal job of that. It's more in their DNA than maybe any other sport. For us, we, we get involved with lots and lots of agencies or charities. And maybe we would be better off to be a little more strategic and narrow the range of focus. But that, you know, there's so many great organizations and, uh, and so many of our constituents have particular passions. So far, we've um, loved that uh, we can turn them loose to go do, do what they want to do. You're an expert at a few and knowledgeable at all of these sports. And really, when you think about the future Nobody better to ask about this. What do you think is the biggest change over the next 10 years in the business of sports? Well, it's right in front of us, and, it, and yet it's so hard to know how it's going to work out. But it's, it's um, call it what you want, AR, VR, gamification of sport. And motorsports is going to be absolutely on point on it because driving is something everybody can relate to. And driving and racing where you're not worried about injury, you know, is, is compelling. So it might very well be, we see it in other major leagues now that they're creating esports leagues. Those leagues could be bigger than the real league, than, than the, 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 the real sport. And it is changing so fast, it's just fascinating to see. You've been around sports for many, many decades. Um, what is next for Mark Miles? Well, I'm going to go back to Indianapolis and get ready for the 102nd running of the, uh, of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. I love what I'm doing. I've really enjoyed being able to have a role in a league, the IndyCar Series, and a, a big event like the Indianapolis 500-mile race at the Speedway in my hometown. So uh, I'm not planning on I'm, – I'm not looking over the horizon at this point. Uh, nobody's asking you to, and uh, Indianapolis has been incredibly uh, lucky to have had you as a steward and more luck to come. Mark Miles, thank you very much. Thanks, Rick. So the article we talked about earlier talks about sponsors, television companies, and the key to all industries, as Mark reaffirms, is getting a firm handle on all of the fundamental building blocks and the economic model 
of sports. So what's your take on all of that? Well, I, I think it's what it's, I find interesting. Um, a couple of things Mark talked about um, on the sponsorship level, and I think this is a, a scourge from sports to media to, to whatever, is that we all feel like, and he used the term, one great sponsor away from oblivion, right? <laughs> yeah. So we have, well we have a, a, a franchise sponsor or a, a team sponsor or an event sponsor or, a, in, for, in my case, a, a sponsor of a special section. And if that goes away, that means you have to fire people. You have to change your business model. You have to get out there and spend more money to lure somebody else in, to lure another sponsor in. So I think that's really kind of an interesting uh, situation. And, and, and to me, you know, you see this, and we've, we've talked about NASCAR, and it's kind of misfortune compared to how IndyCar racing is going these days. And I think that's kind of interesting, Rick. I mean, how's the sponsorship game these days? Is it still the financial services companies uh, and then related sports products that are the drivers here? Yeah, but it's done a little bit of a different way today after 2008. So, And Mark talks about it, but it indirectly reaches all of the stuff around Indianapolis. Uh, Dan Towers, the CEO of Guggenheim Life, he said he wanted to do a golf tournament or something for visibility and exposure. And he laid the dollars out, and it was all created around the sponsorship opportunity. It's its second year in Indianapolis. The example is relevant because... The rate, the golf course that they play, kind of cuts in half. The cut, is cut in half by the racetrack, which is kind of an interesting dynamic. But it's a good illustration of how the model is different today. If you have a sponsor, as Mark said, and if he's committed to growing his brand and growing his ROI indirectly by or virtue her brand. of a, exactly, or by virtue or of brand. a t- uh, her brand, or by virtue of a tailor-made process that gives he or she the visibility to kind of take the next step on it, that's what the sponsor game is all about. It's no longer kind of play a round of golf with the CEO and say, hey, I love this. Why don't you play more rounds? And it's going to cost you $8 million for a naming deal somewhere. That's gone. Metrics replace it. But it's a combination of metrics, intensity, and vision. And whether it's this new golf tour, whether it's this golf tournament in Indy, whether it's the future of the IndyCar racing, whether it's Mark's old stomping ground at the ATP, they all have that in common. Well, you know, it's interesting. I think what's making, you, you look at sports and you could look at it from a less sophisticated point of view and say, the market's saturated. There's nowhere else to go. But I think Mark also brought up a great point about the new TV deal that IndyCar has with NBC. So NBC, the network, is going to carry the major races. Then some other races are going to be on NBC Sports Network. And then there's going to be a whole online-only digital component to it. Now, when he talked about as well about his experience running the ATP, and he said something really interesting about delivering more content affordably and, and how every country has a player who's a household name, even if they're ranked 25th or 26th. And whole countries want to watch that person, even if it's the first round of a less prominent tournament. Well, if you could, if you could target those audience digitally, target that really hyper-engaged, well, you used a great word, intensity, right? When you target that audience, you drive that engagement and that intensity, and that's worth a ton to sponsors, actually even more than scale in some cases, right? So there's that, you talked about metrics and intensity, and I think Mark really brought that to the, to the surface with how he talked about what he did at ATP and now how IndyCar is taking its next step on, on rights and broadcast, the word lose, term used loosely, broadcast rights and how this digital content will be able to, to drive home more specific 
audiences. And there, all of a sudden, now a sponsor not only has a nice name and a nice sport attached that they want, but they have an audience that is hyper loyal. And that's to me, that to me is like where the, where the saturation point argument kind of ends, because now you have more engaged, better ability to get to that audience. I was just about to intensely agree with you because the bottom line of all of this is that sponsors this day and age would probably gladly trade scale for avidity, intensity, and targeting. And with the platforms that are varied, as you just said, you can do that. He is excited because there's a whole bunch of quality drivers under 25 at the Indy 500 this year. Zach Veach with Andretti Autosport. you got Sage Karam, Ed Jones, Gabby Chavez, uh, Kyle Kaiser. There are a lot of kids, guys, who are stories in their own right from a different perspective, different right. nationalities, different backgrounds. And the only way to tell those stories, and NBC pioneered that, by the way, is to get very specific and very targeted, and you're exactly right. Right, and you don't have to waste those stories. Don't become filler anymore, right? They become really marketable assets. Um, you know, I think Twitter and either Formula One or IndyCar have a deal. I was at the Twitter New Fronts a couple of weeks ago. I think we talked about this a few weeks ago on the show. But I was at the Twitter New Fronts, and, and auto racing is exactly the kind of sport that does really well on, on digital, on, on social, because of that audience can, can zero in on it, follow it when it's relevant, and it just amp up the relevance a little bit. And, and that really does carry, again, again, make something that used to be a three-minute fluff package between, you know, a race or something on a, a sports magazine show and turn it into a, a, a marketable vehicle on its own, a standalone asset with, with a core value. So I think it's, it's part of the changing equation. And I'll be interested to see if the World Golf Series has one of those, it sounds like it will have like, I wouldn't be surprised if it turns up on YouTube, on Twitter, or on another social platform. Well, clearly, it's in the age where it's an absolute necessity. And trust me, talk to Mark Miles a lot about his goals and aspirations. The NBC deal is just the tip of the iceberg. Multi-platforms, many opportunities. Uh, it's not just the races themselves, but the tracks, the drivers, the teams, like Andretti Autosport, who has five members driving in the 500. All of these things come back to one central premise. you got to appeal to the fan. you got to appeal to the appropriate targeted fan, and it's all about the sponsors. Those who are watching and listening to the Indy 500, it's a great week. See you next week. I'm Rick Harlan. Thanks for listening to this edition of Keeping Score. Our producer, Alex Cohen. Associate producer, Freddie Joyner. Assistance provided by Carlos Waddick, Tanner Simpkins, Jesse Leeds, and Jamie Swimmer. And the executive editor of Reuters Digital, Dan Calaruso. I'm Ricaro. Thanks again for listening. See you next time on Keeping Score.